Blog Talk Radio.
Is anyone on the line? I can't hear anything or anyone. Dr. Patrick, good morning. Okay. There you are. Wake a Lenny. Hello. 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 So the cohort now you can you can share. Okay, right. Let me see here. Okay. That looks wonderful. Okay. Now let me make sure I'm sharing with you the fact one. Looks like there are a lot of PowerPoint slides here. That's the thing with Let me get out first. Uh, and then come in and look at. Uh, okay. So the other one. Okay, yeah, because some of them are, you know, I had a class here last mean yesterday so I didn't get those off. <laughs> I still had them. Anyway, yeah, let me let me share the correct one. Uh where are we? Doctor Patrick, can you hear us? Yes I can. All right. So here we go. Okay. So can you see my screen? Yes, yes sir. Definitely. Okay, let me put it in presentation mode so that uh, those who have got bad eyes like myself, we have seen too much in this world. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I think this is a very important topic that we are dealing with here in terms of NAFTA, in terms of uh, the African Continental Free Trade Agreement. It's long overdue. And so my presentation today is on the, on the, uh, on the agreement, but what I'm looking at is what's in it for me. <coughs> in other words, so this is going to be a business perspective uh, where if you are a business person, what can you expect? And what does this whole thing mean to you? And how can you actually prepare yourself uh, for it, R- rather than just uh, wondering what's going on and who's going to benefit, and you hear all these rumors around you. But in this case, uh, oh, so I'm the host. Uh, in this in this case, we have to look at uh, what the implications are for businesses. So let's see, just to quickly look at the numbers behind the uh, the deal. Uh, this deal obviously was ratified by 44 countries. I can't uh, hear you. From a single continental market for goods and services. I can't uh, hear you. free movement of goods and services. And what we are trying to leverage here is uh, to leverage the numbers. 
In other words, if you look at the GDP for the whole of Africa, it's $2.5 trillion. And that means if you look at the list of all the, uh, the member states, I mean, or the, the list of the world in terms of performance, we end up being seven. So there are implications with us being seventh in terms of uh, negotiating contracts, in terms of the market, in terms of attracting investment, and so on. So that's one of the reasons why the, uh, this treaty was actually ratified. And you look at the increase in income, it's going to be about 450 and boost exports by 560, raise wages, and leave 6 million people out of poverty. So the question is, what does oh, this is interesting okay uh the question is what will the uh, the african continental trade agreements re- really really do well one of them is uh, a trade partnership and the other is the economies of scale and the linkages which means you're looking at the value chains uh food security which means we are going to facilitate more of food production and also have that food production uh, be, I mean, the output be shared amongst the, 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 uh, the continent, which means we'll be able to feed ourselves. And that will also fuel our economic activity and also development of infrastructure. This is just what the, 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 what the components look like uh, of the African free trade agreement. But my focus really is on the implication on the businesses so we look at the, the, the harmonization tariff, uh, the, the tariffs coming down. What does that mean? It means that you are now going to look at free movement of goods across the continent. So you can export from South Africa all the way to Egypt. And that means the, 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 the market is going to be a bigger market so that you have the opportunity to export wherever you you want to export. So the economies of scale will be right, will be great. Uh, and along with that is the technology transfer. And uh, the technology transfer simply means as you partner with other people uh, across the continent, from Zambia, uh, off to Nigeria, off to Kenya, and so on, there are things that we do differently in each of these, uh, in, in each of these countries. But what's going to happen is we'll have free access to all those things. And since the the whole continent is going to harmonize how we do things, we'll be able to know if I move from here, uh, I go to Nigeria, I don't have to worry about the differences anymore. I just have to worry about, hey, do I have a good product that is competitive, uh, that is of high quality, and do I have the market there? And that's all you have to worry about. In the past, you would worry about, well, from here to Nigeria, uh, let's say you're passing through all these countries. Each of these countries have got their own way of dealing with things. And then you end up having all these delays, and also you don't don't even have access to other markets because of all those barriers uh, along the way. But in this case, it's going to be very easy for you to, to do business. And in terms of technology transfer, what you're talking about here is you will be able to share ideas. You may know this. You may be doing something very well here. And somebody in, uh, in Egypt knows how to do this thing very well. Now you have the opportunity to come together as a team, as a partnership, 
so that now you can all you can you can both uh, improve your operation. So access to technology, and that's not only going to come from within uh, within Africa, but also from outside of the or outside of Africa. And this is where I say you should leverage the diaspora. The diaspora they know a lot of companies who are doing different things across the world. And the good thing is Africans are not just in Africa. They are all over the world. And so all over the world we do different things and we, do, we have different technologies. And if we can leverage that, we can now bring in all these technologies to come and bear. Because remember, the market is going to be very attractive. We're not just talking about, let's say, Malawi or Zambia. We're talking about the whole continent. Uh, the other thing is foreign investment. So obviously we've heard a lot about foreign investment uh, having a problem going into specific countries because uh, the market is too thin, uh, the infrastructure is too poor, uh, there is weak purchasing power, or challenges with the, the ease of doing business. Now there's not going to be any doubt. It's not Africa is not going to be a dark box as we have always known it to be from, I mean, from this perspective of other people, it's now going to be very transparent. It's going to be very open. You know what the expectations are. And that is what the investors really look for because you reduce the risk of doing business once you know exactly what the expectations are. And once they know about this huge market and they know they can move from point A to point B, they are going to be interested in forming, uh, let's say, manufacturing hubs. They could have a manufacturing hub. I mean, they can divide the continent into maybe three, four, five, six, seven hubs and say, okay, West Africa will have a, a, a hub in Abuja or let's say Central Africa, we have it in Addis Ababa and so on and so forth. So those excuses that we used to see in the past, they are going to be removed. Now, and if you, if you talk about transportation, and this is, this is a very, very good I- issue in, mm-hmm. in the sense that when you look at transportation, all African countries, their infrastructure was geared towards exporting stuff to the colonial masters. So if you look at inland transportation from Zambia, uh, from Zambia Malawi, and the like, all those in between, their infrastructure was develop an outlet to the port so you can get stuff to the colonial masters. Now that's not going to be the case. In fact, this has been long overdue. The fact that somebody left something for you to do, you have to start thinking about how does this benefit me rather than, oh, well, they, this is how we've always been doing business because that's how companies end up failing. And that's how countries also end up doing poorly. Uh, so now the, the idea is let's develop the inland infrastructure. So you see more collaboration uh, or more transportation between Malawi and Zambia, between uh, Angola and Zambia, or Angola and Zambia, there's something there, but we can, we can also always widen it and, and, and make it, more, and, and make it uh, more robust than it is now, rather than just having a single link to the, to the ocean. So with the, with the revamping of the transportation infrastructure, which means air, rail, uh, land, all those will be able to, uh, or road, or, or, all those will be able to grow. And once they grow, what is the implication? 
The implication is now we will be able to transport our products from southern uh, southern Africa all the way to uh, Libya, Egypt, and whatnot without uh, without delay. Because in the past, as you are moving from South Africa, you get into uh, let's say you go to, to to Zimbabwe or any of these other areas, you have you have to pay duties, you have to face delays. The roads are not as good as they should be. Now, if we develop that infrastructure, we will be able to cruise through very quickly. And that means our business is going to be more efficient from two standpoints. One is the cost is going to be reduced. Two, uh, which includes the, the, infra, the, 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 uh, the inventory as well. Two, the cost will be reduced through little investment in what we call inventory in motion. So when you are shipping stuff, you agree upon certain terms, like, uh, okay, it will be 90-day net or 30-day net or, or even cash. Uh, but in that case, what you are doing, let's say you, you do it 30-day net, you have, all the, you, you have all the inventory or the money tied in the inventory that you are shipping. So you don't have money available to, to to start getting to start manufacturing other products or buying new raw materials, so now that is going to be compressed. That by compressing the, the the lead time, that means we are going to have more money available for investments in other activities, making us even more more efficient. So, transportation is 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 a key thing here, and now if you look at the the investment in inventory. Again, that's going to be very low, both at the site where you are and also the, the, the inventory. I mean, if you look at inventory, you can just divide it at the manufacturer's place, uh, what is already in transit, and what lands over there. And so if you look at these two companies, both of them are becoming more efficient. So that means now the, uh, the, the cost, to the consumer is going to be low, which means the price is going to be, I mean, to the supplier is going to be low, and which means the, the price to the consumer is going to, be, is going to be low. Raw material, that's going to be available, but now you don't have to worry about being taxed this much or having to, to grease someone's hand to, so that you can get the raw materials. Now you know exactly where to get it, and you know what the deal is. No delay. It's up to you. You find, you find the, the source of raw material. And Africa is the richest place where you can go to in terms of raw materials. So you're not worried about anything in terms of, where well, I won't have them. And I will, maybe uh, my stuff is going to be marooned somewhere. That's not, going to, that's not going to be the case. In this case, it's all going to be stuff coming to you and stuff going out. And, of course, this depends on how we actually implement. The implementation is the biggest piece that we have to look at, but that's not the, uh, that's not the focus of what I'm presenting here. So then we look at unemployment. Again, a larger market, more skills. If you are a startup, you have skills that you can uh, actually access all over, all over Africa. There are a lot of people who do different things and they, uh, who have got different levels of skills and education. All you need is just to put an ad, and the people will come from all over the world, from all over Africa. So that's a great thing. 
economic performance as a result of all these things that we are looking at in terms of the intangibles, in terms of transportation, foreign investment, technology, economies, economies of scale, all these will combine to make, uh, to make the Africa's economic performance improve even much better. And of course, economic performance was one of the key components of what motivated uh, this trade agreement to be, to be implemented. Then we look at shadow economy. In the past, we, or even currently, we, 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 we had a lot of uh, people smuggling goods from one country to the other. That won't be the case because there won't be any need to smuggle the goods. They are mm. to you. Now, the question then is how do you prepare yourself so that you can take advantage of all these good things that we've talked about? Well, one of the key components is self-evaluation as a company. Look, so this is going to be a combination of the business uh, business carnivals as well as the SWOT analysis. So you look at the, you, you evaluate yourself from, um, from the beginning to the end, from the, where you're getting the raw materials, manufacturing process, uh, your finances, your customers, how you market yourself, how your operations are running, and what's happening around you, and distill that so that you can now identify what is my core competence? What is it that I do so well? And I have to sharpen that. Remember, the, while there are all these good things coming in, uh, there will be an opportunity to weed out those who are, who, are, who are bad performers. So you want to make sure they can protect yourself at, at the same time, be able to grow. And so growing means you have to look at your core competencies. Now, who else? is doing what I'm doing. Do they do it better than uh, I do it? And if I, if I do, uh, I do it better than they do it, well, that's my strength. Uh, I can now say, well, I'm very good at this. I have very good finances. I've got a very good marketing team. I've got very good uh, uh, operations and so on, streamlined operations. I use good technology and the like. So that will give you your strength. And then you look at the weaknesses. Well, these are some of the things that I don't do so well. Now, how can I improve on them? You may not necessarily do it yourself. You can always partner with somebody who does that particular aspect of business very well. You partner together. You go in either, either, either in, a, in a joint venture or you go into uh, a revenue sharing arrangement, whatever arrangement you may have, you may come up with. And then you look at the opportunities that are being presented and how can we can we take advantage of those opportunities? Um, you look, you also, I mean, for instance, if you look at uh, uh, the, the, the idea of this continental uh, transportation, for instance, what I was talking about earlier, well, this is going to present a lot of opportunities for travel agents, uh, transporters, airlines, logistics companies, and so on. So they stand to gain. So if you, if, if you are in that area, you position yourself to take advantage of that. Don't wait for the opportunities to reach you. You've seen it, run after it. Then we have uh, the, the, the different trends. And this, by, by trends, I'm talking about things that are evolving uh, around you. For instance, you may see GE. Uh, they are also getting involved in, in, in developing a, a power engines that are going to be, I mean, they've got projects in Africa. 
she tried to find out how can you plug in because now it's your opportunity to go in there and say, hey, look, I am uh, one of these one of the companies that are providing these services, and here is how I can help you. Don't go there saying, well, how how can I be of help to you? Find the opportunity and then go and tell them, this is what I would like to help you with, and here is how how much I charge, and here is my background, how how well I do these things. So. Effective, what I'm saying is position yourself mm-hmm. in the environment. Absolutely. So that's all I had to share with you, and thank you very much for listening. Yeah, and uh, we want to make some uh, follow-up um, uh, questions. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you are live and you'd like to ask a question, um, go to our Facebook page or in the chat room. We are going to be uh, reading uh, some of the, uh, the, the questions. Dr. Powanga, I like the, <laughs> the idea, especially on the shadow, shadow economy, where um, one time I visited the Kasumbaret. If you see how many people have to, to go through the bush, um, it, is, uh, it, it is amazing. And just to think that uh, the, this new agreement, will open up. People can walk freely uh, through the, the borders. Uh, to, I find that very, very refreshing, uh, uh, Dr. Paul. Uh, yeah, and I, th- I think that's a, that's a very key component uh, because, again, everything that we've been doing has been based on the, uh, the, the, the boundaries that were drawn during the 1881 Berlin meeting uh, <laughs> in some place that we didn't even know existed. And we've continued to, to, to build up on that, uh, actually strengthening it, rather than trying to dismantle those things and say, hey, look, uh, my neighbor here, we, we, we are neighbors. Okay, there, there might be a boundary, but we don't have to worry about what somebody drew mm-hmm. back then. Let's see, what can, you, what can we do between the two of us? And, I mean, for those who are in the state, you know you can travel from... Los Angeles, all the way to New York. Nobody's going to stop you to look at your, your papers. That's the way I'm, I'm envisioning. That's the way yes, yes. Uh, this uh, uh, free trade agreement would look like. So that you yeah. don't waste time and somebody there seeing that you're driving a nice car and uh, you won't get out of here until you, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, until you bless me. Yeah. What need on one of the issues, Dr. Poanga, that you have addressed in your presentation is weaknesses. How can you turn them into strengths? Mm. Uh, obviously, to turn something into something else, which you want it to be, you need to identify what that issue, uh, uh, what that issue is. And you have identified the component of, uh, what are we saying, the, of air travel between African countries. Uh, for me, that's a very big issue, which I was thinking that uh, uh, Ambassador Hopi joins us, and of course, uh, uh, Stacy here will, will try to address this component. Of, okay, my question I'm basically trying to say is, what are some of the weaknesses do we identify, and how do we improve on them? Actually, you can go through the, 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 the functional areas initially, uh, where you look at, well, how are my finances? 
for instance, do I have uh, a good a good access to uh, a credit facility? Maybe people or uh, banks in Zambia, for instance, may not be willing to give you a, uh, a, a credit facility. But you can go to other, maybe in South Africa they might have, since you now don't have to produce all these passports, all these paperwork, and then they deny, no, you are not, you're not a, you're not a South African, so you can't do this. Now you have that across the board. Or what you could do is you could identify somebody who you can partner up with and, um, and increase your credit facility. If you look at your operations, oh, sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very quickly, you, you are a finance person, part of your, of course, economics and finance. I don't know right. whether Mrs. Pinto is able to come in on this point. Mm -hmm. Is it possible mm -hmm. as... Uh, not yet. Is it possible as we go along with this arrangement, Dr. Poanga, to have, I don't know whether this, <laughs> to have a unified interest rate in the banking sector in Africa? I'm thinking, well, the interest rate, yes, but they will be within, I mean, even if you look at the U.S., the mm. interest rates are not necessarily the same. Okay. Depending on where you are, those who are in Nebraska, they tend to have something maybe lower and so on. Or you know the bank. I mean, there are, there are a lot of things that go into the interest rate. Uh, you know the bank very well. You are a big customer. You are, um, you've been doing business for so long, and so they trust you. You have a track record. All that is entered into the, uh, into the interest rate. But if you look at the average, it's almost the same. But as individuals going to the bank, it's different. So my anticipation is, yes, in the long run, that is going to equilibrate. Because if, let's say, in Zambia, you charge such high interest rates, let's say you are charging 30%, which is actually extremely high, and here is somebody in Egypt is charging 10%. You know what is going to happen? People begin to to, eh, to to talk to each other and say, "Oh, I, I get it from uh, the from Egypt, and it's much easier. I mean, it's it's much easier. It's much it's about this much, and we will be going to Egypt. And in any case, the whole idea behind this uh, free trade agreement is for us to normalize all those things. They are not going to happen overnight, but they are going to happen over time, mm -hmm. so that we eventually." you ought to be able to get the same interest from wherever you are, depending, again, on what kind of uh, credentials you bring to the table. One last point, uh, Dr. Poanga, before we um, invite uh, Mrs. Tessie Pinto from Namibia. Uh, was in the question of uh, technology transfer. I was checking, Dr. Poanga, the other day, uh, how they break bread in Morocco. I, I was the first fascinated. And when you compare again with the United States, uh, one technology from San Francisco doesn't stay in San Francisco. You find it in you find it in Delaware. You're going to find it in Texas. This is one of the advantages and why most of us, Zambians, Africans, we should push uh, this thing to be successful, Dr. Paul. Uh, absolutely. And one of the other things that we should go along with pushing this thing to be successful is education. Well, we should uh, harmonize yes. the education system. Uh, because I mean, we have got big, big minds that we are wasting in Africa. It's unbelievable. Uh, like I kept telling people when I came to Colorado School of Mines that, look, 
you are not looking at the best mind. I'm just one of those. <laughs> if you go, you find some people who didn't have the opportunity that I had uh, are there, but they are far much better than I am. Okay. So don't don't look at me and say, oh yeah, you you are. Uh, I, I'm not. So <laughs> it's just this is just an example of what you can expect from Africa. So we need to do the same thing. Bring up these young ones. Create uh, the, let them be creative. In fact, I was a little disappointed. I didn't see any in, in the in the in the trade agreement. I didn't see anything that addressed entrepreneurs specifically. Uh, I think I would have loved to see that how they are going to create this ecosystem for the young ones, for the entrepreneurs. How you make it easy for them to be able to to to, uh, to establish companies and actually find markets and so on and so forth, so that they can prosper. So the same thing. Technology will come in, and these big, uh, big minds that we are looking at and not marginalizing, so to speak, those big minds will be able to improve on that technology, and the technology will evolve. So we will see that the technology transfer, even though it just occurs at the at the basic level, we are going to improve on it. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Those who are in the uh, chat room, uh, you want to say something, or you want to ask a question. Uh, you can press on the uh, on the hand button, something like that, and then we can uh, Nathan and I will be able to allow you, Dr. Ponga. Thank you so much. We hope you you stay with us, and uh, maybe some of the questions at the end of the day, which are going to be coming, uh, you'll be able to uh, to answer them. Thank, thank you, Dr. Ponga. You're welcome. The pleasure was mine. Thank you. Uh, Nathan, we are going to uh, welcome uh, our good friend uh, Stacy from Namibia, Stacy Pinto. But as we do that, I think I've figured out maybe uh, this video, one minute video, I really need to show uh, Dr. Bahar okay, and have a look at it. Okay. We are calling on everybody to think Africa. It's, it's still not showing the. Um... No, the sound is there. We can hear it. Yeah. How oh, come I couldn't hear it? I apologize. No, we can hear it. We okay. can hear it, right, Dr. Pawanga? You could hear it. <laughs> I know this. Yes, okay, I will. Okay, I will. Let, let, let me um, let it play. Okay, <laughs> sorry for that. I, I I can't hear anything in my in my in my earpiece. Um, the same for earpiece. Uh, that's a problem. You see, that is a that is a that, that is a problem right there. Um. All right. Yeah. Everybody, join yeah, us. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, welcome those on the radio, Dr. Patrick. Good morning, Dr. Pat. All right. Yes. Keep going, Nathan. We need to see a video here clip before we continue okay. our discussion. Yes, right. Go ahead, Roger. Yeah, I will. I may have to show somebody else. Uh, yeah, Ambassador has also joined us. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, let's welcome the Ambassador. Uh, uh, then uh, I, I, I know Madam Pinto was. Uh, <coughs> At, at the end. So, uh, Ambassador um, 
Mamba, please uh, turn on your mic and your, your video. That way you can you can come in. Uh, thank you very much. Um, I wish to apologize that uh, I've joined quite late. Uh, yeah. I've been traveling between Addis Ababa and Lusaka. Oh. So you may <laughs> forgive me, it was an agent trip. But however, we can make do. Um, I've, I've joined, and when you are ready to speak to me, I will I'll do that. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah, we'll let you rest then, uh, Ambassador, and then we'll go to... Uh, to Madam, Madam, Madam uh, Stacy, and then you, you come. Yeah, let, let, let me speak after Stacy. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. It's a world of technology, nothing. Um, a lot of pieces to, to, to move around. I'm disappointed I couldn't hear myself, so I couldn't stay with, with that. Uh, can we, Miss Stacy, can you please come in? Uh, your video, can you sure. turn on your video? Yeah. Sure. Is that all right? Yeah, it's all right. That's all right. Welcome to Zambia Block Talk Radio. And nothing do is that. Yes. Miss uh, Stacy Pinto is the chief executive officer at the Namibia Trade Forum. Mm-hmm. She's also a, a lecturer. They use lecturer in Africa, not professor <laughs> like here in the... <laughs> She's a lecturer at uh, Namibia University, right, Stacy? Correct. Yes. Uh, I was trying to, she's actually a PhD candidate. I was trying to, I was digging behind the scenes to say, <laughs> has she finished the PhD or not? And then my source, whom I will reveal here, Susan told me not yet. I said, because we need to address her properly. So, ladies and gentlemen, we are gladly honored, and this is not the first time Stacy is joining us. Roger, you met, she was with us five years ago. We basically addressed the same subject that we're talking about today. So, Stacy, thank you for joining us and taking the time from the great state of Namibia. Uh, what is the function of the Namibia Trade Forum? Um, firstly, thank you. I know I said my thank you is a little earlier, but just again to to say thank you for having me. Um, it's always refreshing and gives you new perspective to discuss some of the work that we do every day, but can sometimes take for granted. So it's always good to have sort of a, a bigger perspective and obviously share ideas. So thank you very, very much. Um, so the Namibia Trade Forum is actually an agency of the Minister of Industrialization and Trade. Um, it was sort of created as a decision of cabinet to make sure that there is a bridge between the private and the public sector as it relates to issues of trade and investment. So you might know that from quite a number of countries, there was always a disjoint between policy and actually the people who benefit or get to use policy. So this institution, the Namibia Trade Forum, was created specifically for that, to make sure that the private sector had absolute sight of the trade agreements the country was negotiating and is in, but on top of that could give real reflections as to how these trade agreements affect their business. So that joint was really, really important. So that's what we do at the NCF primarily, is to make sure that the private sector can have views in terms of the trade negotiations positions we take at different levels, be it SACO, be it SADC, be it now the CFTA, and obviously internationally. Mm-hmm. And then crucially also is, is trying to manage the mandate around ensuring that we're seeing a bit more Namibian products on, on the retail shelves. 
you you might know that the likes of say Shoprite Pick and Pay their franchise, and the argument was always, you know, they they'll come and buy what is South African. What about the local producers? So the Namibia Trade Forum also tries to ensure that we're seeing a bit more Namibian products on on the shelves, and obviously um, addressing issues such as market access. So in a nutshell, that's that's what we do, and I think that post-COVID, during COVID and post, well, now we still are in it. Mm. Our role became that much more central because when COVID hit, obviously businesses were frantic. There was no processes and procedures in place because we've never been hit with something like COVID. And so we became sort of the go-to, what is government doing? What is in place? Where do we go to for what? What are the standards? What are the procedures? So that role sort of came organically, but it's something Mm. that we're really proud to take on now and obviously make sure that we're keeping our finger on the path with the private sector as well as government. So therefore, before my colleagues come in and uh, all those that are here, those listening on radio, welcome. Uh, This is Business Forum. We are looking at the African countries ratifying the AFCTFA. Um, from what you have said, Stacy, therefore it puts your, I don't know to say department or your office, at the cardinal or focus point of dealing with what has happened in Africa, the big elephant in Africa that we are dealing with. So when this is happening, what is the role of your office and an overall picture of where Namibia stands on this in terms of product services and how it has, how has the nation of Namibia evaluated how it's going to respond and what role it's going to play in this, uh, what we, Africa is dealing with right now. Thank you. Thank you for that. And maybe just to, to, to touch a little bit on what Dr. Apoanga said. He, he made a fantastic presentation and I'm I'm totally in agreement with all of the points that he raised. And I think that what's quite interesting about the CFTA, Mm. um, interesting and encouraging as well, is this that there is absolute political will from most heads of government in Africa. So we all know that the the success of any policy or agreement really depends on how willing our political heads are to make it um, happen. And it's because of that that I don't know if you're aware, but trade officially started under the CFTA on the 1st of January 2021. And that's primarily because there is absolute political will by heads of government to make sure that this um, happens. Obviously, it's on the back of Agenda 2063, and the idea there is to create the Africa that we want. So from that high-level perspective, it is very encouraging and absolutely increases the chances of success of the CFTA. I will be the first one to admit there are still a lot of issues that we have to think about, issues such as rules of origin, uni visas, the works. I think you know that negotiations are still going on as it relates to this. Um, but that being put aside, I think that the CFTA, as Dr. Poanga said, has been long coming, and I think there couldn't be a better time for, for us to be implementing that. Um, and maybe just coming back to your question and coming back to Namibia, just to create some context before I, I, I deal with your question. So Namibia deposited its instruments um, of ratification in 2019, and what has been going on in the interim is obviously this of negotiations, trade negotiations. And I think the biggest one was figuring out how do we merge all of the different trade agreements that exist in Africa? How do we reflect them at this regional level? So we're talking about SACU, we're talking about SADIC, we're talking about ECA, all of those different RECs in Africa. 
how do we then merge all of those rules to make sure that they're pronounced at this um, regional level? And obviously the issue around rules of origin, which is basically looking at the origin of a product. If we're we talking about ones that are purely uh, produced in a country, can we merge with another country? So th those are some of the issues that are still pending. Um, and so what is happening now, as of the 1st of January 2021, is that the implementation phase of the CFTA has required that member states create um, what we call national bodies, national bodies, national implementation bodies. So those are supposed to support and oversee the implementation of the CFTA. So that is where Namibia is. We recently created our implementation committee. And that is really, really crucial to making sure that the CFTA is, is successful. Um, that body is literally supposed to be the one that looks at the opportunities, the threats, just what uh, Dr. Fuanga was alluding to earlier. What are the opportunities for the country? Where are the competitive advantages? Where should we be plugging in? How do we bring in the private sector? And what are the entry points for the private sector? And obviously crucial to that function is that point of consultation. I think that that role has become more pronounced to most African states because we've realized that the times that we can implement policy without talking to the private sector are completely gone. We need to absolutely be in touch with the private sector and consult them on issues that are sort of impact their business, even though it's from a policy angle. So those implementation committees are the bodies that are supposed to then support and monitor how well or not countries are implementing the CFTA. And obviously there is a route for them to, to feed back into the bigger body, which is the CFTA um, in Ethiopia, to report on progress. So that's where we are as a country. And I think what has become very um, apparent, so a couple of weeks back, I had to speak again on the CFTA on, on a different platform. So I did something quite interesting. The, the night before, I ran a poll on my social media, and I said, who knows what the AFCFTA is? <laughs> You'll be very surprised, Nathan. The majority yeah. of my followers did not uh, know what the CFTA is. I'm not surprised. It was, <laughs> I was surprised. Because the people who follow me on social media, I deem mm. them quite in touch with what's going on in the world. And I would have assumed that people know about it. So sometimes us that work with policy can sometimes take for granted that the public understands what we do and the work we do. They don't. So mm. I think that there's a softer issue for most African governments to really just put their finger on the pulse around awareness. We cannot talk about businesses looking at their competitive advantage or their weakness if they don't know what is available to them. So I think as part of the work of most implementation committees, we literally need to come back to basics. Do our people understand what the CFTA is? I'll give an example. Nigeria, um, mid of January, um, sanctioned by the president, they actually started, they rolled out a uh, an awareness campaign across all the states, across all the, literally to the grassroots, to really talk about the CFTA and give support and figure out how businesses can plug in. So we really need to be very intentional about making sure that we're creating the platform for businesses to, to, to benefit. In the spaces that we work, for instance, I'm in Windsor, which is the capital city. I'll take for granted that people know. But mm -hmm. if we're looking at complete benefit, we literally need to go, if, if it's farmers, 
if it's producers of something, we need to go mm-hmm. to where the people are and say this is what's going on and break it down. Sometimes we take for granted that people understand what we mean when we yeah. say policy this and that, but they don't. That's exactly. the reality of the, of, of the society we live in. So I think crucial, a soft issue, but to my mind, in my view, very important, is one of just awareness. So that's some of the work that we're starting to get on um, as a country in Namibia. And then secondly, we last year as the Namibia Trade Forum launched what we call the Buy Local Grow Namibia Initiative. Maybe just to talk a bit about that. What we wanted to do was make the Namibian shopper understand why they have to buy local products and what it does. Yes, you might spend that extra $2, but it's something that with ripple effect creates more jobs and obviously allows local producers access to markets. Now, what that does inadvertently is if we're giving our local producers a chance to get shelf space, we're giving them a chance to flex their muscles. What do I mean? If we can guarantee that if you produce X, Y, and Z, complying with a certain standard, you have market access in our local stores, what does it do? It starts to prepare them for export because at some point they have to scale up. At some point they will reach the maximum market in terms of that country and have to think about exporting. So what that does inadvertently is that it's giving us sort of training ground, if I can say that, because... Remember, right now, we're going to be competing with Nigeria, with Ghana, with Mm -hmm. Kenya. All of those countries will be doing business in our countries. So we've got to think really hard and quick around, are our products standard worthy? There's a big issue around standards and just making sure that we're not only promoting local to the expense of complying with standards. So we did that quite well in Namibia. And I must say, there is so much encouragement from um, entrepreneurs and local producers to actually have a shot at producing something because the issue of market access is a little less complex now. And obviously, once they're in the local shelf, that already ticks off the box of potentially exporting to another African country. Um, Lastly, is just around the issue of collaboration. I think... I don't know if this is a trend elsewhere, but Namibia is a fairly small uh, country. We're about 2.3, 2.4 million people. And sometimes because of how small an economy is, we we tend to sort of be narrowly focused on, oh, this is what I'm producing and it's my little niche. But right now, if we're going to be competing with the bigger guys of Africa, we need to be thinking about, as Dr. Pawanga said, how do we collaborate? How do we join hands to make sure that we can produce something Namibian, Zambian, South African, even though there are three or four players in that. But at the end of the day, we're producing something that comes from our country, meets the standards. Okay. She... Yeah, she frozen a little bit, but that will, I'm sure she'll be coming back. Uh, one of the things Different that she... Okay, go ahead. Sorry. You froze a little bit. Go ahead. You froze a little bit. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Terribly sorry. It, it I, was I small. don't know. Well, it's small okay. Very small oh, okay. Okay. Um, I will carry on, and I'm not sure where it, it, it broke off, but... Um, I was just saying that the issue around collaboration, both nationally and regionally, something that's really, really being promoted by the CFDA is the issue of regional value chains. Um, SACU has started its work in figuring out what are the key product lines in the region that can benefit from regional value chains. 
And that's really, really interesting for upcoming smaller industries because now there's a platform or a foundation on which you can sort of collaborate with other producers in other countries to produce something that is whole and exportable. Um, and then lastly, I, I do believe I spoke a bit about this, it's just the issue around information flow. Um, as things materialize, as things come to light, I think it's important that that function with us as an institution, but also as the mm -hmm. implementation committee, which the NTF is a part thereof, to make sure that information is continuously flowing to the institutions and to the private sector that it needs to. Because it's only with that information that people can take decisive um, sort of steps and actions to make sure that they benefit from the CFTA. So just in closing, Namibia is absolutely looking forward to make, taking full advantage of the CFTA. And I think what always works in our favor is this, that our population is quite small. And so the work we have to do to bring everyone together is not as much um, because of, of, of our numbers. And obviously, mm. I hope that that will materialize into how quickly we can create entry points into the CFTA. I'm happy to take questions, happy to yeah. clarify any points. But well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, the, the, the good thing, Nathan, is mm -hmm. already we are talking to someone from Namibia over something which is common to all of us. It, it is not a beautiful one. This is, uh, <laughs> this is a good thing. You know, that's the beginning uh, from, from us. As yeah. As, 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 as the continent, uh, we are coming together already as a people. But we have one, right. thing, one thing to talk, uh, uh, to talk about. Uh, on the issue of awareness, Stacey, uh issue of awareness, um, what are you putting uh, in place? Uh, because I'm sure Zambia uh, we are going to need, we are going to need a lot of people to know about this. The unions need to come on board. The civil society needs to come on board. Probably the church needs to know about this. And yet, even the way it was inaugurated on January the 1st, it was very only nosy people like Nathan and I probably knew about. You, you know, so how do we go uh, as Tessie, um, yeah. pushing this message to make sure everyone begins to embrace uh, the FTA? It's a new thing. Uh, go ahead. Right. Thank you for that. So how we've started to deal with that is sort of a two-pronged approach. Number one is obviously institution, um, institutions. And we really had to sit down and map the stakeholders. We, we, we cannot sort of go to step five before we think about one. And mm. one is really sitting down to say who are our stakeholders? What institutions do we need to engage? What is the role that they play? So that was step one. And then the other way that we've done it is that Namibia has an interesting model where we do most of our work through committees. So we have the agricultural sector committee, we have fishing, we have uh, manufacturing, we have services. So at different levels in, in these institutions, we have representation from the key sectors of economy. And that is how we have sort of real-time um, comms or real-time um, relations with the private sector because that is who is on the ground. That is who needs to start implementing what is to be benefited from the CFTA. So that's how we've done it. Number one, to look at the institutions, that will be crucial. And really, for, for, for an agreement that's massive, you're looking at everyone. You're looking at yeah. finance. You're looking at trade. You're looking at home mm -hmm. affairs. Home affairs is absolutely crucial to this. 
Um, you're looking at the fishing, for instance, in Namibia, Minister of Fisheries, Minister of Work. So at, at different levels, each institution has a role to play. So from there, then, we extract what industries do you regulate as an institution and how do we have access to them? So that's the work we do now through the committees. And as is relevant to that particular committee, we convene them and obviously create information sharing um, sessions. That is easier to do in Vinduk and obviously now with COVID, we have to think about virtual meetings, et cetera. But there has been deliberate moves to actually go out there to the towns, to the villages, because there's some really great farmers out there that, number one, might not have access to internet. That is a reality, mm -hmm. but they can't be left out of the equation. No. So like I said, we really have to be intentional and deliberate about making sure that we tick all our boxes. Because the point here, Roger, is it, 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 what you are saying, Stacey, it's very awareness is crucial, Dr. Powanga, for the fisherman in Mueru, to understand that he doesn't need to transport his fish to Lusaka or Kitwe if it's across to take it to Congo on the other side of the border, which is the nearer market. Just common sense, and that it has become legal, so to say, and it is being encouraged. The government agrees it's no longer smuggling. Dr. Powanga addressed that. So that's awareness is key here, Roger from what I'm seeing here. So our colleagues in Eastern Province who realize that it's okay for them to sell their maize to across the border in Malawi than to take it to Lusaka. You see the way I'm seeing yeah. 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 It's yeah. like, oh, I don't need to take this to Kitwe and Dola, Lusaka. It's easy for me to take it across the border and I'll probably make a, a little bit more. Um, I don't know if anybody has got a question here, those of you that have called in. Uh, some of these things you can see the common uh, factors from what you're saying, Stacey. You can see that these are basically the African problems across board. You are talking about buying local, standard worthy, and that's one of the challenges we face as African countries. It's standard worthy because you can actually see the products that come out of South Africa in comparison to the ones that are within the local markets. A very big difference. Um, I don't know if anybody has got a question here. Uh, Roger, I, don't, uh, I had one question I wanted to ask Stacy. Yeah, we still uh, to, to be here. We still have a few um, minutes who mm -hmm. allow um, Ambassador um, Ambassador to tell us the, the Zambian perspective. Uh, both uh, uh, Stacy, Dr. Paul, I see here to our listeners. Uh, we see our chat room is, uh, is loaded with people there. Um, so if you want to ask a question, you can raise your hand, and um, or you can put it in the, in, in the chat room. Stacey, thank you so much. Uh, we'll be thank working you. together. Please don't, don't go away, because there will be some questions. Uh, at the sure. End. Sure. Happy to. Thanks again. Thank All right. Why don't we uh, invite Ambassador um, Mamba to come in to add to the team. Ambassador, welcome. Yes, yes, thank yes. you, Thank you. The group. Sorry, like I said, traveling. I'm glad I'm here and I'm glad I can join you. Yes. But um, I'm Emmanuel Mwamba, as, as introduced, I'm uh, Zambia's ambassador to Ethiopia. I'm the permanent representative to the African Union. I'm also the permanent representative to the United Nations Economic Commission for 
Africa. Um, just to give a broad perspective on the Africa continental free trade area, remember that first we had launched the Agenda 2063. This was an agenda that should go up to the next 50 years, that should accelerate development, and that should put an Africa where we all aspire uh, the Africa we want. And some of the key activities and programs were summarized in 13 flagship programs. We call them flagship programs. These included an integrated high-speed uh, trade network, the formulation of an African commodity strategy, then the establishment of the Africa continental food trade area is amongst these 13 uh, flagship programs. The other ones of key importance to this is uh, the African passport and the free movement of people, uh, the silencing of guns, because you cannot have trade and economic development if the guns are still blazing across mm -hmm. Africa. Um, the implementation of the Grand Inga Dam project, because there's been an, we've identified one of the crises to economic development has been lack of proper and reliable energy. Mm -hmm. So the Inga Dam is an African Union project. And the establishment of a single African uh, transport market, you recognize that just to fly to Namibia, maybe I have to go to Addis Ababa just to get to Namibia while I'm in Zambia, or I have to go to Johannesburg. So we, we proposed some of these projects, including the, the single you know, uh, uh, air transport market. Mm -hmm. Now, coming on to the CFTA, we all know that uh, our leaders, in beginning to implement the continental free trade, I mean, implementing the Agenda 2063, picked on the CFTA that it had quick gains, low-hanging fruits, and the commitments that leaders had shown. Uh, because we, we've identified that Africa is only trading with itself up to 12%. Then it trades with the rest of the world up to 88%. So this was identified as... Um, uh, an urgent needy areas that uh, our, our leaders needed to attend to. So they met in March in Kigali, Rwanda, and agreed, made a declaration that we should declare and uh, implement the continental free trade area. But there was a condition that two, uh, 22 head, uh, member states should sign to the agreement for it to, to begin to take off. And 36 member states should sign to operationalize it. And so this is what happened between 2018 and then 2019, uh, 22 member states signed, and we had an extraordinary summit in Miami to launch the continental free trade area. And for it to go into operations, the required number again was reached. In case of Zambia, we signed the declaration in 2018 in Kigali, Rwanda, and then in 2019, in February, our president signed in Addis Ababa the agreement because there's a declaration, then there's the agreement. And then there's the operationalization. So this year, um, in February, we signed the, uh, the CFTA, its operational part. Now, the operational part is a bit difficult because it requires that you do broad consultations in your own country, you get cabinet approval, and you get parliamentary ratification. 
So this is where there has been delay in many countries. And for Zambia, we finished the process uh, and deposited and acceded to our documents uh, just um, last month. Um, the operationalization of uh, the continental free trade area is extremely important because of the potential benefits that it brings, and I think you are one of the experts that will, will speak to, to that. Uh, for Zambia, we are glad that we have completed the process. We are surrounded by eight countries. If we take advantage of this free trade area, mm. we are looking at a market, not of just Zambia, which is 18 million. We'll be looking at a market of 400 million just around us. Mm. So this continental free trade area is, 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 is very important. And remember for Zambia and Sadiq region, we already have some free trade areas that are working very well under Comesa and under SADIC. So the CFTA is a natural progression for Zambia because we've had some form of free trade area under these uh, sub-continental bodies in Comesa and, and SADIC. So, Roger, I think those will be my opening yes. remarks, yes. and then yes. I'll take some yes. questions. Yes. Yes, uh, we have a ton, a ton of questions. Number, number one question, uh, actually, um, Your Excellency, it was your depositing of the instrument which uh, made us organize this uh, summit, this uh, forum. We want to understand what uh, that is all about. You deposited the instrument uh, of ratification. What does that really mean? Yeah, thank you very much. What this means is that um, the market, continental free trade area across Africa, became operational on 1st January 2021. So we are part of that market of the six uh, member states that have signed and have acceded and deposited their instruments. So our market has grown from a static region where up to 36 countries, some are in West Africa, some are in North Africa, some are in East Africa, our market has grown. Similarly, it means that we can receive imports from these countries beginning January uh, 1, 2021. If that is uh, being uh, the, the case, um, one of the items I really like about this instrument, it is... Um, the non-tariff barriers, the abolition of non-tariff barriers. If you have deposited, and Namibia here has also uh, deposited, um, can we, uh, let me rephrase the question. When someone goes to the border today in Zimbabwe, uh, as a member who has uh, ratified, can we, are we going to see a difference? Or because I'm willing, uh, honorable ambassador, to send the investigators at the, at the border very soon. We'll be doing that. Are we going to see a change there at the border, or is it just too soon? In effect, it must be, because the, the market is operational. Um, yes. But the countries that have ratified, and that's why they took them to parliament, they have some urgent work to do. One of them in trade, you know, in trade agreements, uh, why uh, commodities will not be just allowed uh, across the border. Are those rules, such as the rules of origin, mm -hmm. um, uh, the, the elimination of uh, non-tariff barriers um, have to be done 
uh, countries have to do those individual amendments to abide by the agreement that is signed. They have to domesticate it. And remember, uh, the CFTA has those as five pillars to make it operational. So you, you first of all, amend your, your rules of origin so that you allow these goods trade-free. You, you, know, you, you remove your non-tariff barriers. We are also implementing a digital payment system, which mm. makes it easier for any exporter across Africa to export to one another. And um, there is uh, a regulatory body that has been formed, the African Trade Observatory, that should also oversee that the CFTA agreement is implemented and is implemented in full. The challenges, however, we still have are that we need also to accelerate. Remember what we talked about, our infrastructure, our border areas, mm. Uh, mm. our connections. For example, in the DRC alone, going to Lubumbashi and Kinshasa takes you two to three hours. And if it's by road, it takes you two weeks or, or, or so many days. <laughs> so we still have those challenges across Africa that we have to do the, the infrastructure that it, it, it's called for, we have to upgrade our rail system, air system, our harbors, our ports, and our borders. I've got too much. That's what I'm coming. You heard what, yeah. uh, you, you what Stacey said about awareness. Uh, my good friend, Soma, Soma Lombe, is, uh, is here. Uh, last time we talked about this issue. How she was surprised in Zambia, people who are supposed to know uh, your Excellency, people who are supposed to know, don't, don't know. Uh, any plan, any idea of how you think uh, we are going to roll these uh, people? Those who, who need to know, at least they should know. Then nothing now comes. So what we've done, in, in fact, the, the CFTA was designed purposely that it should go to cabinet and parliament, and before that, that there should be... Uh, uh, consultations across the country and the stakeholders, especially business entities, business associations, uh, trade entities, manufacturing entities, all of them should be consulted. At the level of trading, business, and finance, the level of consultation has been done. But I agree with you that we have to take this CFTA to the ordinary people. They have to know what, is, what it means. We have to take it to the small-scale trader. Like you said, it's easier for a farmer who lives in Solwezi to export across to Kolwezi his vegetables. Mm -hmm. That's a big mining area in yeah. the DRC. Then look at the market in Lusaka. But because of trade barrier, it's difficult for him to, to, to come from Solwezi and just walk across to Kolwezi and export. But they, they, we need to make them aware that it's easier for you to export. Mm, wonderful. Nathan, go ahead. Excellent. Your, uh, your Excellency, uh, you've heard Stacey say in Namibia they've taken the implementation committee or committee's approach. Uh, I've heard you say that uh, in Zambia consultation has been done. You've mentioned the parliament, cabinet. Is there a specific organ that has been established to spearhead or champion this? Yes. So the uh, CFTA calls for national chapters to be created okay. and these do some of these uh, tasks to coordinate awareness among businesses, to liaise between government, 
and the business and trade sectors and to ensure that uh, the, the bottlenecks are removed. Um, you, let me give an example. Last month, <clears throat> our Ministry of Commerce issued um, a ban against importation of uh, tomato and uh, onions <laughs> from South Africa. You must have heard that. So uh, in my informal discussions in Addis Ababa with ambassadors, they were mocking me, said, no, what you need to do is to raise your standards. Because uh, the issue of banning import from another African country is mm -hmm. long gone with the CFTF. Uh, <laughs> your farmers are seasonal. They want to protect their markets. So you invoke protectionist policy. But after the season ends, <clears throat> South Africa, which exports throughout the year, you still have to op open the borders for them and they still export to you. So it, that example demonstrates the unequal environment that Africa is there, developed or developing countries like South Africa, Egypt, Nigeria, that are mm. far advanced. And there is a risk that they might flood the markets uh, of Africa. And there are other countries that who have nascent uh, manufacturing capacity uh, and they might seek protection. So this example demonstrates that we need to hurry up in ensuring that we level uh, these playing fields. If there's uh, good agriculturists and farmers in South Africa that are doing uh, by irrigation, tomato and onion throughout the year, why don't we invite them and they collaborate with our farmers than banning their import into us? We, we have to quickly change our mindset that exactly. the CFTA is here and policymakers need to know what this means. It means the market is open. It's the largest um, uh, free trade area in the world. You know, 1.3 billion people and with a GDP of about 1.3 trillion. But it can be sabotaged and stifled by protectionist policies, by raising tariff barriers, and therefore negating the opportunities that, that are inherent in the CFTA. The second question, Roger, therefore Ambassador from Wacha saying it becomes critical that organizations like Economic Association, Manufacturers Association, I forget the full name, uh, economic groupings in Zambia like that or any African country for that matter to say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have to up our game as per Dr. Bowanga's uh, uh, presentation. How can we turn our weaknesses into strength? Like you have said, instead of being seasonal growers, we become year-round growers, uh, things like that. So the question I'm trying to, 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 to put to you here is that how quickly is Zambia looking at itself to make this turn around? <laughs> Uh, thank you very much. You know, both the Agenda 2063 and our own um, uh, economic programs and our planning programs um, have all envisaged a Zambia that should add value to its products, that should be export-oriented, uh, that should grow its industry. Zambia, by in the 70s and 80s, we, had, we were among the most urbanized and we had one of the largest uh, manufacturing entity were competing very well, but you know, came privatization and we lost that manufacturing capacity. We mm -hmm. became traders and trading, you know, has since taken 
center stage. But the national picture in our national plans, in our national development plans, is that we need to add value to all our goods. We need to uh, grow our, especially our manufacturing and industrial sectors. This way will be competitive, not just to Africa, but to the rest of the world. Okay. Uh, the other uh, point, uh, um, uh, Your Excellency, is uh, on the collaboration with we, the members of uh, the diaspora. Um, you are looking at a huge uh, price tag for infrastructure, like you rightly uh, said. It's going to need a lot of money. You'll be happy to note, uh, uh, Your Honor, uh, that uh, in 2019, uh, Africans in diaspora, we remitted back home $43 billion. Yes, this is money which went to help our relatives here and there. $43 billion is a lot of money. Even if we took just 10% of that money, it could go a long way in helping to build infrastructure in, uh, in Africa. Not for free, of course. We'll be lending one of the things... I, a comment and one of the things that I would like to um, uh, put to you is how much also the, those people laughed at you, uh, how much you, uh, Africa, Zambia was burning South uh, 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 Africa from Britain. Go and tell them, we need to tap into the diaspora, agency like yesterday, because the diaspora are ready to be part of, uh, uh, of this initiative. One of the things that I was arguing with, uh, with himself. The Chinese, for instance. The Chinese have a Bank of China in Zambia. In, in, other, in other words, they are helping their own diaspora who, who, are in, uh, who are in Zambia to borrow from there and do this. So African government, Your Honor, you need to begin to think about investing in your diaspora so that we can invest back into Zambia. Your comment, into, into Africa. Thank you very much. First of all, at the African Union level, We've recognized the diaspora. We've recognized their contribution. In fact, their contribution per year is far bigger than the three billion you are referring to. Because um, if you look at the amounts that go to Nigeria, something is in excess of five billion dollars. To Ghana alone is one billion dollars. Here in Zambia, it's about 110 million dollars annually that the diaspora contributes to our economy. And most of these monies are informal. If we were to track the monies properly, you find that the figure could be three, four, five times yes. far higher. Mm. So at the African Union, we've recognized, we even set up a, a specific directorate just for diaspora and diaspora policy called CIDA. And, and, and then we formed uh, what is called ECOSOC. ECOSOC also looks at civil society and those in the diaspora. At our national level in Zambia, let me give an example for Zambia. We've changed our foreign policy beginning in 2015. Our policy has shifted, our foreign policy has shifted from political diplomacy to economic diplomacy. So we are tasked to look for investment, to tap on the skills and um, skill set of Zambians and ideas and their links where we are, other than to bring the nationals where we are based as an embassy. So economic diplomacy has become very big. The involvement of um, a diaspora also has become very, very big. Uh, in relation, for example, to a, a set of skills that we might need in any field in Zambia, any adverts, we've been advised that, that Alusaka is sharing those adverts with us in our embassies across the world. And we look for 
Zambians who may be competent in the areas that we're looking for. That way we broaden competition, we bring a world-class skill set to our country, and we, 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 we've been advised, you know, in the past, when a head of state or minister came to address you, Zambians, wherever you were, one of the things they'll tell you is, come back home. Come back, we need you home. You will not find that language in any of the president and ministers because we've recognized you are an asset where you are. Yeah. And we recognize that you can contribute immensely without you leaving the areas where we are, where you are. It's just like I'm in Lusaka and people from Kasama come and say, eh, come back home. I can contribute even when I'm in Lusaka. So similarly, the mindset is changing. So the diaspora I need to emphasize is extremely important, both at the African Union and at Zambian level. Okay. Uh, the whole panel now will come back and address some of the questions which are being uh, asked uh, uh, online. Uh, Stacy, please uh, come in uh, uh, live. Um, Dr. Powanga, here is a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the standards of after for a product to be in value chain for a trade for a trading to all African uh, countries. Now, let me repeat that. What are the standards of after for a product? Yeah, uh, I think I, I think Stacy talks about this. They are still developing. That's what the other for Dr. Poanga or Stacy can allude to that. Yeah, that's in the process. I'm sure Stacy would have more to, to add to that because she she is closer to the to the action. Yeah. <laughs> um. So there isn't a, a, a quick answer or hard and fast rule in that regard. Um, it depends on quite a number of things. Number one depends on what kind of product you're talking about and um, what the national standards are in your country. So I'll give an example of the National Standards Institute here in Namibia. The way that it's created is that its mandate it cannot by itself proactively create a standard. It has to be approached by the private sector. And they then together work together to create a standard to make sure that there's a complete joint between policy and, and the private sector. So it depends, like I said, it depends what kind of product you are talking about. And then crucially also, what are the mechanisms in your country around certification and then standardization as well. So, no, there isn't a hard and fast um, answer to that. It will depend where you are and the product you're talking about. Very quickly, Stacey, uh, in, in your country, uh, how, how do you find this issue of standardization? Um, I, I don't know how, uni- how uniform is it, it is. I can tell you, uh, I don't know if you've been to Zambia. You have Sorezi and... Uh, I'm from there. I'm Zambian. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Zambian. <laughs> Okay, okay. I was very comforted um, by Ambassador's comment to say remain where you are because yeah, the, the rhetoric <laughs> that we should go back home, I don't know if it's sustainable. <laughs> a medal of being in um in Sorwezi means something else in fact. Same country. I'm I'm not sure how uh, uh, harmonized is it uh, over there because it is a big, big issue. And the next uh, question mm-hmm. will come to uh, to the ambassador. Right. So I think the line that draws the difference between a lady that's selling a medal beans and somebody that is sort of a bit more progressed is the defining line is whether you're in the retail stores because that becomes sort of the border 
between um, how sort of credible your product is and not. Obviously, when we're talking about small scale, the medal beans, that has its own clientele. But when we're talking about national standards and harmonization, what becomes the criteria is number one, you obviously have to have access to the market. There has to be a formal market to which you have access. That formal market is the one that will then, together with the Standards Institute, help create um, the standard on that particular product. So in answer to your question about Namibia, we're not there. We're getting there. So the, 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 the Standards Institute I referred to is fairly new, and it was created crucially for that purpose is wanting an institution that can manage the issue around standards because, like you say, it was haphazard, up and down, it wasn't clear. So we created an institution that will particularly be tasked with managing those issues around standardization. So if I would to give you a scale, I would say maybe at four out of ten, but mm -hmm. what's important is that the framework is there to do the work. Okay. This uh, question, next question, Nathan, goes to Ambassador. Um, Ambassador, do we have a deliberate policy to help our farmers in Zambia, say through the cooperatives, up their, up their standards, thereby allowing them to compete favorably in the region? Ambassador Aman, a question for you. Do we, uh, do we have deliberate uh, Thank you very policy? much. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Um, I'll give an example. When I was... Um, uh, the High Commissioner in South Africa, I engaged the directors of uh, ShopRite. Um, the biggest complaint then in 2015 was that uh, ShopRite was not uh, buying local products such as tomatoes and onions. And what was our pottery, what was on their shelves was um, from South Africa and from South African markets. Um, the concern they brought to me was that we as a country have to look at basic things, first, such as certification of those products by medical health experts. It's just mm. not enough to get from your garden and you, you take your goods into ShopRite and they're on the shelf. You don't know the pesticide content. You, you, you don't know if it is free of any diseases. As an international group, they have minimum standards and they, don't want, they do not want to be sued or they don't want to carry poisonous substances. Another matter was um, uh, packaging. Mm. And the third matter was reliability. Because w when you, from your small uh, one lima, you harvest, <laughs> then you want to take to shop right. They want to open a market for you for the whole year, not just for a single month or single product. But if you are unable, then band together as cooperatives where your produce then can supply them uh, reliably. And I was impressed. Really, we need to attend to those minimum requirements. Can, if I am given this contract, can I mm -hmm. supply? Can my goods be safe? Can they be packaged properly? Because uh, you buyer, the buyers are, are choosy. They touch things. They want things to look good in their eyes before they even buy them. So can they meet the minimum standards? So those are the many issues, especially for small-scale traders, our, our small-scale farmers have to know. And the proposal for a cooperative for me is uh, a quick game because then you pull your resources and it, it is easier for both government and banks to finance a process uh, pulled together under a cooperative and improve some of the mechanisms that our 
small scale farmers struggle with. Mm. Okay, uh, uh, wonderful. Dr. Powanga, I don't know if you have um, looked at the question of taxes, tax revenue. Countries will be losing uh, uh, tax revenue. Uh, Sifu Mwamba is asking the question, if farmers sell directly out of Zambia, how will Zambian government collect taxes or revenue? Well, I mean, if you're selling directly from, uh, from Zambia to some other country, uh, maybe the, only, the way they would collect taxes would be through sales revenues. Because what we are saying here is the customs will no longer be actively involved in, in, in unless you are exporting out of Africa. But within Africa, I don't know whatever they are, what arrangements they are going to make, but most of the times that will be collected through sales tax. Okay. Uh, it is, it is uh, Nathan, I don't know if you have another uh, follow-up question, but we have a question to uh, Ambassador again. Uh, the question is um, the free movement of people, Nathan, you had that, uh, that, that question. Please go, go, go ahead. The free movement uh, of, of people. What we cannot trade without people moving uh, freely. Uh, go ahead. No, we can't. <laughs> Ambassador addressed that question himself. He is make he had to make an urgent trip from Ethiopia. He had to go through. Did he say South Africa? Ah uh, no, we'll just give you an example. Okay, Ethiopia is direct flight to them. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, Ethiopia. But one of the issues is if you want to go to West Africa or to North Africa, that's where the challenge comes in. There, there are no direct flights or things like that. So, Ambassador, uh, one of the hurdles, uh, this I think was also addressed in Dr. Powanga's uh, presentation about uh, improving on our weaknesses. I think movement between the African countries isn't the best of things to talk about. I know people don't like making comparisons, but you have to have a model where you're looking at. If we compare the travel between the European Union and what goes up when CFT has been done, uh, what, what, what is being worked on to ensure that that travel is, is I mean, you even are dreading to travel to another African country because of the... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't forget you, Nathan, mm. yeah. I, 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 Nathan, I agree with you. I yeah. agree with you. Um, for the CFTA to, to succeed, the free mm -hmm. movement of people and goods must be implemented simultaneously. But the challenge we have is that, first of all, uh, the, the, the historical perspective. Yes. So you have former Portuguese colonies, former English colonies, former Spanish colonies, former French colonies. And for any of these colonies to go to another, you need a visa. I can't go into the DRC without a visa. It's easier for me to go to a former British colony because it might be in the Commonwealth. I might not need a visa. So just to travel in Africa is one, extremely expensive. Two, the barriers are high. You need to apply for visas. And then there are countries who complain at the AU, Somalia, Nigeria, uh, <laughs> Ethiopia, uh, Senegal, that routinely their first application has to be rejected if they want to go to any African country. In fact, it is easier for them to go to UK than to go to another 
African countries. Yeah. So the the colonial legacy that has uh, come on us is regrettable, and we have to overcome it. It's in the mindset who would rather accept Chinese or Indian than accept a Nigerian who will say they are full of 419, even if they are educated, they are qualified doctors, even the application shows that they are professionals, but they are rejected just on hand because they come from Nigeria. Um, uh, West Africa has made some good progress. Mm. There has been yeah. free movement of people amongst ECOWAS, and that's something we are trying to copy from. The next block that is very good is SADIC. The SADIC region also has been very, very good. The free, the free movement of people, other than the instability that came around Zimbabwe, where now you know, they are stopping Zimbabweans, is, is also been very good. So uh, uh, when we were at a workshop to discuss free movement of, of people, mm-hmm. I was surprised that Zambia also was listed as a difficult area to enter, especially for countries of conflict, that we are rated you know, as one of those difficult countries to go to. Of course, we have to protect our interests. But like I said, it's a mindset we have to shift. Yeah, it's true. The barriers are totally unnecessary. The borders we are trying to protect with our lives are not, these are artificial borders drawn in Paris <laughs> by one who wouldn't even know where Africa is. Yeah, it's divided yeah, right. our people, it divided our cultures, divided languages, unilaterally. Yet we protect those borders with our lives. We go to war over those artificial borders. So it's, it's just a mindset, and I think that's why Agenda 2063 is extremely ambitious, that uh, allow free movement of people, implement it, allow free trade area, you know, uh, uh, silence the guns. So the, the, yeah. the ambitions are quite lofty, and it requires all of us to ensure that we, we, we succeed in that area. Roger, let's read this question from Patrick. I don't know whether he wants to say it himself or he wants us to read uh, what's in the forum, what he has posted. This is a very important point. Um, Patrick, would you like to address this or you want us to read it? I don't know which way to go. Um, he's, He's on mute. You can read. Okay, he says I can read. Um, Let me read this. And uh, Dr. Powanga, Ambassador of Stacey, you can respond. Uh, I quote, hopefully there is language in the CFTA which speaks to foreign investment in enterprises or business entities that can take advantage of the agreement to the detriment of the small business in the participating countries. Maybe a foreign, foreign implying outside the continent a foreign ownership percentage limit on participating companies. Who would like to respond to that? Let me start, uh, Stacey and Doc can then follow up. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me give an example. Uh, like on removal of barriers uh, for uh, dairy products, yes. one of the discussions was that um, Seychelles and Mauritius import a lot of uh, skimmed dry milk from New Zealand and other places. Whoa, um, and they just package they just package in Mauritius and then do we grant them free access to the African market? Aren't we promoting New Zealand and other industries at the expense of Africa? The issues of rules of origin where does it end? So if you just package something from Europe you put made in Zambia. 
and you then you, you access a DRC and other markets. Is that fair? Aren't we promoting other industries from Europe? So we have all those inherent concerns. In fact, the CFTA is aggressively being promoted by Europe, by Asia, and the U.S., than even ourselves. Because they've seen a big opportunity. Mm -hmm. They can just ask you, Roger, and they said you are a Zambian and you register a company having a face of Roger, but you bring the technology, the company, and subsequently the benefits from that establishment goes back to Europe. So we really have provided and flooded Africa with cheap goods, but enhancing other economies. So there are a lot of um, inherent concerns that we have to address. And that's how I can answer that question. Okay. I think it is well answered. While uh, your, uh, your Excellency were talking about uh, all these borders, uh, the question is really on, on Congo. Congo, most of us come from Congo. Our relatives are there. Um, from Northwestern <laughs> province to Wapula province. And yet, it is a war zone when you go to, uh, when you are going to Kasumbalesa there. Uh, what is the plan of opening up? Um, I think our major uh, 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 trade partner, Congo is our major. What is the plan, uh, your, your honor? Okay, Ambassador? Sorry, um, the question on Congo, what was the question again? The, the question was, uh, Congo is our major um, trading party, Zambia. Um, our origins, Zambia, are, are from Congo, from northwestern province to Rapula to everywhere, from Congo. And yet when we go to Kasumbare, it is a war zone. With the coming of, of after, how aggressive are you uh, taking this issue? to open up that border freely so that the Zambians and the Congolese and their brothers in Congo uh, can begin to do business uh, peacefully? Historically, we haven't done very well. In fact, we criminalized the trade between Zambia and Congo. The term smuggling in the 80s was prominent. We, 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 we issued bans against uh, people trying to trade with Congo. You mm. know, we, we, we proscribed the export of maize, and um, millimil to Congo. And you know what Congo does? It simply imports from South Africa what it needs, from tomatoes, onions, millimil. And that's why Kasumbalesa border is uh, goes sometimes up to Kalulushi and Kitwe for goods coming not from Zambia, but from South Africa, Botswana, and Namibia. It has to be a mindset shift. If we are growing uh, maize and our tonnage per year is 3 million tons, why don't we recognize that the DRC has 100 million people? Let us grow for the DRC because we have no war. We have one of the most fertile lands in Africa. Sure. You know, we, our, our infrastructure is well, well established. Instead of growing 3 million tons, why don't we market instead of for eight, 18 million people, why don't we grow for the DRC and exploit uh, that huge market? It's a huge yawning market. I gave you an example of a friend of mine who went between Solwezi and Kolwezi. He shifted from Lusaka and set up to grow fruits and vegetables in Solwezi. 
uh, a head of cabbage in Lusaka is about $1. I think it's in cents, but it's about $1. While it's almost uh, almost $60 in Solwezi if you take across to Kolwezi. So you can imagine that Congo is a yawning market. And unless we change our mindset, both at policy level and at, at, at our farmers' level, that we need to exploit this market. The Congolese people may not go to become farmers at the moment because of the various historical and current conditions. So Congo remains a yawning market which we should exploit. If we skip it, South Africa floods that market. Um, with their goods and services. Mm. Dr. Katoso has uh, a question. Let's open the market, uh, the night market. Now that we have uh, um, uh, Honorable Mwambanaka, we should push. We need to open Congo. Congo yeah. is going to be our project. Uh, uh, Dr. Um, Dr. Katoso, go ahead with your question. Yeah. Uh, um, Excellency, how are you? It's good to have you explain this. Uh, uh, I am most uh, concerned about the reasoning that went into the decision to ratify the African trade area. Um, I'm particularly focused on Zambia. Since the Zambian economy's liberalization in the early 90s, Zambia has been running huge trade deficits with its key trading partners. It is bleeding billions of dollars out of the country year after year. On the other hand, the attracted investors have all been extractors of national resources and revenue out of Zambia, uh, leaving no reinvestment capital in the local value chain and supply chains. Simply, Zambia has not taken advantage of the preferential trade area PTA, now called SADI. Uh, there is no industrial hub or manufacturing base to ensure the country appropriates the global or regional um, economy's benefits. Uh, regional multinational companies have just uh, replaced m- uh, most local companies, e.g. Chilanga Cement Space have been taken by Dangote and company and others. Uh, ZCBC Space was taken over by ShopRite and company. Zamtel's Market Space taken over by MTN and other companies. And the story goes on and on. We can go industry by industry and corporation by corporation. The questions are, given this weak position, how do we expect Zambia to benefit from the Africa trade area when we have nothing much to offer at this point? Two, uh, let's even be specific. What is the estimated annual net revenue that we can expect to accrue to Zambia in the next five years? Thank you. Uh, Dr. Kasonso, thank you very much, and thank you for those insights. Um, I think I, I, I need to say this. The, the economic history of our country, we were a private uh, economy from 1964 to 1969 until Dr. Kaunda came up with those reforms that nationalized. And then in 1991, we decided to revert back. But the reverting back in 1991 uh, and in the manner it was done to liberalize our economy, impose a free market, and allow privatization. You are aware that the issue of privatization has been a matter of discussion. We all agree that our privatization program, although successful, was not done very well. First of all, we didn't protect the industries we had. 
If we had ZCBC, we didn't strengthen ZCBC. We closed it, liquidated it, and brought a foreign player. If we had Zambia Airways, we didn't strengthen Zambia Airways. We closed it and allowed the private sector to take our understanding of the privatization program. And unfortunately, I've implemented, together with IMF and World Bank, was in many ways reckless. I think what should have been done was to protect those thriving industries, uh, protect our industrial bases before we invited other uh, uh, players. You heard of uh, a buyer of Lenko who was amazed at the industrial capacity of Lenko as a coach building a, 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 a complex. And when he bought it for a song, he just exported the entire machinery for, for, for you know, putting together of trucks because it was such an expensive machinery. And so our privatization has nothing is, 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 is attracts a lot of criticisms and benefits. We need to learn from that past. If we had done it properly in a, in a way that, like I'm saying, protected local industry while allowing foreign participation and foreign competition, it could have been better for our country. We have isolated ones that succeeded, Zambia Sugar, Lafarge, Zambia Breweries. But Dr. Kasonso, you rightly pointed out, is that these were shareholding replacements. Imagine if we had allowed Sub Miller to come and compete with Zambia Breweries. Imagine if we had allowed um, Lafarge to come and compete with Chilanga Cement. That mm -hmm. would have been a better way of doing things. But we offloaded and sold everything. And this was with um, a shambok from the IMF. They were giving deadlines. By then, you should have sold. Then we'll give you this relief. Then we'll, they tied it to our debt relief. We will not cancel your debt unless you do the following. So the era of privatization requires sober reflection away mm -hmm. from the politics, but just economic reflection of what we could have done better. Because Zambia, like I stated at the beginning, was a highly industrialized country in Southern Africa. As case who lives in Namibia, can, or whoever lives in Zimbabwe, and if they were in Zambia in the 70s and 80s, they would attest, before we started suffering from economic problems, that Zambia had industrial hubs in Dola, Kitwe, Lusaka, and Livingstone. We were really, really far ahead. We were assembling cars in the 70s. Can you imagine? So we were doing bicycles in the 70s. And we were a large exporter to Great Lakes of Cement. Yeah. And these were indigenous companies. So away from politics, we need to have a proper reflection, then do a local homegrown economic program for ourselves. Our involvement with the rest of international players has not helped us. We just have to come together ourselves and agree on the minimum parameters that we should implement. Not where the IMF or World Bank give, gives you parameters. That has not been successful in the last 55 years. Excellent. Your Excellency, we do thank you for taking the time to join us in spite of uh, you making an urgent trip. That was His uh, Excellency Ambassador Emmanuel Mwambat, uh, Zambia's ambassador to Ethiopia and permanent representative to the African Union. Dr. Luca Pohanga, Professor of Economics and Finance at Regis University in Colorado, and Mrs. Stacy Pinto, joining us all the way from Namibia, CEO for Namibia Trade Forum. Ladies and gentlemen, this was part one of our business forum. 
We shall continue next week with a fully loaded discussion and the number of guests. Please, those of you that were on the radio, we thank you, as always, for joining us. You can see we are making some tremendous progress here. Everybody, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to being with you next weekend at the same time. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much, and God bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good evening. Thank you.